0: Monogamish Podcast contains content intended for mature audiences. The views expressed here are for entertainment purposes only. Please enjoy the show.
1: Uh, Hi, Ishes. I'm Justina. And I'm Kenji. And we're Monogamish. Monogamish. And today we have Stella with us. Um, Stella Harris. I'm so excited about this. I know. an intimacy coach and an educator. And like I said to her, she's an awesome writer. I've stalked lots of her articles. She just puts out such wonderful information. And I'm glad that we could welcome her to the show today. So welcome, Stella.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. When I first saw you, um, it was actually in a woman's health article. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I thought, well, you know, Masturbation is such an important part of sexuality that I think is has still been so taboo for such a long time. And you did a whole article on on how masturbation should become a ritual. Will you talk mm-hmm. us through that a little bit?
2: Sure. Yeah, this I think started for me a handful of years ago. I did a class about building pleasure rituals and that was a response to what you're talking about that taboo of masturbation and something that's come up with a lot of my clients where folks feel like masturbation is like taking something away from partnered sex or they feel like there's a finite amount of sexual energy and if they lose some on themselves, they're cheating their partner somehow. Uh, I've been asked this even by college students, is masturbation cheating? So, this was a response to all of that, wanting people to understand that masturbation can be part of self care
0: mm-hmm. and
2: that it's more like um, a muscle that you strengthen, you know, sexuality and arousal. And the more often you access that, the easier it is to access. And that masturbation fills different needs than partnered sex. And so that people can explore that for themselves. Because that's the other big thing you see in articles and advice, people saying, well, you have to touch yourself so you can tell a partner how you like to be touched. But what if it was just for yourself? Isn't, isn't that enough for your own right. pleasure? So that's sort of where this pleasure rituals idea was born.
1: So when did you personally start exploring masturbation?
2: I mean, kind of as far back as I can remember, it definitely was... Curious about my body, but it was years before I figured out how to actually have an orgasm from the okay. exploration. Oh wow! I, I remember still, uh, my grandmother actually told me one of those like, "What's happening to my body?" So it's about puberty, and it explained how masturbation worked. And I was like, "Oh, so with a little bit of instruction there, a little anatomy lesson, I figured it out." Okay, a young age, I think I was probably.
1: 12 or
0: 13 when I figured out orgasms. Yeah. I think that's around everybody's
1: age I was a little younger. It was a weird, it was a weird one for me. I was in the bathtub and the, the water hit my clitoris for the first Mm -hmm. time. And I felt that sensation. And I was like, Oh my God, That kind of feels good. And so then I did it again purposefully. And that's when I actually had my first orgasm. Oh, yeah. Without knowing really what it was. I just knew, ooh, that felt good. Yeah, right. (laughs) I think that people don't start from the beginning. And so that's why I wanted to start. I think sexuality starts with yourself first, Mm -hmm. more than with another partner. I think that you have to take that first step and really know your body and know what you like and know what turns you on. And I love how that common theme through your whole, through everything that you write, including your books, you have two wonderful books, um, a a tongue tied Mm -hmm. and um, the ultimate guide to threesomes, the ultimate guide to threesomes, Mm -hmm. which we'll definitely talk a lot about in this episode too. But I think that it's starts, like I said, with yourself. And so knowing how, knowing how to, how to pleasure yourself is the first step before you can even figure out how to put it in words to describe it to a partner. And mm-hmm. so I love that you have a lot of focus on that. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your background? Like, how do you identify, and like, what are you? What does your relationships look like? Sure.
2: Um, I identify as polyamorous. Okay. And I have sort of a main squeeze, I guess. I don't necessarily do hierarchy, but okay. there's okay. just, you know, by default, I have the person I see an awful lot of, um, and I'm bisexual, so I like all of the people, and yeah, I mean, in the last few years, I haven't been getting out as much and dating <laughs> as much, so right. I've, I've been, you know, much more of a homebody and a hermit, uh, but it's been interesting, so it's given me more time to think about what it means to be polyamorous and is it really about how many people am I having sex with at any given time versus sort of the philosophy and the mindset, meaning even if I'm only having sex with one person, there's still a lot of importance that both of us place on, you know, independence and freedom and... Autonomy. Maybe having sexy conversations with other people or letting friendships be really important. Right. Uh, so I think there's a whole structure to it that is a lot more than just who I'm dating, who I'm having sex with.
0: Are you part of a polycule or anything, or do you just have your one partner that you see a lot of?
2: Um, I guess by default, I'm part of a polycule. So <laughs> okay. My is, uh, has other folks. Um. I don't really do the sort of kitchen table poly at this time. Uh, I have in the past had more involved polycules. Some of my best friends right now I originally met because we were metamores. I've been in a triad before. Um, But right now I would say I am probably a little more on the solo poly side of things. Each of my relationships is a bit more independent. That's okay. awesome. Okay. So
1: when did you start realizing that this was something that you wanted to write about in the career?
2: Well, it's always been something I was interested in. I mean, I was interested in open relationships since high school, you know, before okay. I had words for any of it. I was dabbling in this. you know, before I even came out in 1980. <laughs> um, so all of this an in interest, but it didn't occur to me really that it was a career. Okay. Even though my undergrad, you know, I majored in Sociology Mm -hmm. took a lot of sex and gender classes, Um, and yeah, I didn't didn't know it was a job, Uh, and so that came maybe twelve or thirteen years later. um, Started teaching in the BDSM community, and it evolved from there. And that's when I sort of quit my day job, went back for more training in you know being a certified educator, becoming a certified coach, and again, it just sort of evolved one piece at a time. teaching classes, coaching, practice, and the writing. Oh,
1: that's awesome.
0: So you said you were uh, teaching BDSM. What type of BDSM were you teaching? I
2: think the first thing I taught in a local community space uh, was rope bondage,
0: Okay, okay. which I
2: still teach. Um, But I teach kind of all of it. um, Bondage, impact play, negotiation, consent. um, Oh,
1: wow. Mm -hmm. You know,
2: yeah, classes on on DS, a little bit of everything. Um, these days, I do more of the bondage and sort of kink one hundred and one style overviews. My niche has sort of become a lot of curious folks. The, the feedback I've gotten again and again is that I'm sort of approachable and not as intimidating as some of the you know BDSM instructors you might mm-hmm. find that are. Um, I think, you know, hot as hell, sort of like, you know, the tip to toe PVC kind of thing is maybe not right. for you know, just exploring curious type. You know, we're going to walk into a dungeon and see someone in their thigh high boots with a whip and like run screaming. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and I show up in like my and t shirt and, you know, just saying, hey, let's just have fun with this. And it doesn't have to involve any dominance and submission and like, we can just be playful and silly. And yes, of course there's
1: laughter in BDSM and you know, it can be for everyone.
0: Oh yeah. You got to have fun with it sometimes, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that's funny that that's what you're known as because that's exactly who I thought you would talk to within our community is those people that are curious. Um, because I think the ultimate guide to a threesome, I think the threesome would be like the gateway drug to life to the lifestyle. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's mm, like, mm-hmm. I want to dabble my toes in this. This is what I'm thinking about, at least for heteronormative couples. This is true. Um, I would imagine that that's probably what you found, too, when you were doing your research for your book and things like that. There's a lot of that. And the book also
2: was born out of questions I got from coaching clients, which led to the class and then led to the book, that's sort of the evolution of a lot of my work. And you're absolutely right. A lot of folks have this threesome curiosity and a lot of folks like to have a threesome, well, otherwise more or less staying what they would call a monogamous relationship. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And it's harder that way, right? If you're not involved in any of the communities and don't want to be, and just want this one experience, but you don't know any of the people who do that sort of thing. And so right. to scratch. How do I find them? How do I get this? You know, hey, sure, it would be great for you, theoretically, unicorn, to, to come and join this couple with no experience who maybe never wants to see you again. You know? Mm-hmm. Right. And so approaching these folks who might sort of stumble into these communities, make some mistakes, get labeled unicorn hunters and sort of chased off, um, even if they meant well and just didn't know better. And so starting there, how do we help those folks have a better experience and find what they're looking for? And how do we help the folks in those communities not have to sort of play educator and, and deal with those awkward interactions? I mean, certainly as someone who has identified as bisexual since a teenager. I've definitely gotten that like, oh, you're bi. Sure. That means you want to come and have a threesome. I'm like, what? No. That's- <laughs> <laughs> like, no. So if I can say to some other, you know, bi folks in that experience other queer folks,
1: um, that that's part of the job. Yeah. I would say it's even harder when you're trying to make sure that you have that chemistry with all th- between all three of you. It's it's funny to me that people don't realize it's the same as any other attraction. Right, like, I could be attracted to you or I could not. It's not a guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you coach your clients through knowing if it's right a right choice for them? Because we have a lot of people that maybe have relationship issues to begin with and think, oh, if maybe if I if I open up our relationship, it'll fix everything.
2: Yeah, um, any kind of openness will not. It's a relationship. That is that is for sure. Um, these things are all best started from a very secure base. Um in my book, which you mentioned, I do have sort of some questions you can ask yourself to you know if it's for you. I do actually also have a free three-step exploration workbook you can find, you know, in my links on all of my social media places. And there's, you know, a little quiz you can fill out. And but it's questions like, am I prone to jealousy? You know, do I like sharing? Do I think it's hot to think about seeing my partner kiss someone else? You know, am right. I good at saying no? Or in the moment, am I going to be more of a pleaser and it later? So, those sorts of questions I think are a good place to start.
1: Oh, and wow. I, th- I think you don't have to have the answer to all of those because, like, I would say, even though I was really open to the idea of ethical non-monogamy and exploring a a swinger type lifestyle, I had a real hard time saying no in the beginning. Like, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't even, it, it wasn't between my partners. Like I didn't have any problem saying, telling Kenji, like, no, I'm not into that. It was the second that he left and we were at a swingers club or an event and the guys would swoop in. I didn't want to be mean, <laughs> I, you know, mm-hmm. you feel like almost maybe an, not an obligation, but you think if I'm here, that means I should be down. Yeah. But you need to also understand that just like in the real world, you're not going to be attracted to everybody that you go on a mm-hmm. date with or that you meet or in a social setting of any kind. And so it's okay mm-hmm. to say no. And it's learning how to do that in a way um, that is firm and effective and not maybe giving them an opening where they think, th- cause they'll be persistent. And so you have to really say no, I'm not interested and and move on.
2: Yeah, I mean it's not just okay to say no, it is vital.
1: Right. Because
2: if someone doesn't feel like they can say no, their yes also mean as much. And personally I would trust a partner who'd never said no to me, especially for more advanced stuff. Um, and I think it's worth noting that different spaces if you're talking about parties and clubs. Some spaces do sort of cultivate that, oh, well, if you're here, I expect you to be at least a little down. And I definitely steer folks away from those sorts of spaces and that vibe. I think that is
0: mm.
2: very unhealthy.
1: And I would agree. A lot of trouble. Uh, personally, I avoid those parties where it's like, if you come, you have to play. Or even, I feel like putting any restrictions, there's some parties that we've gone to where... <laughs> if you come, the men have to remove their shirts by a certain time. And I didn't oh, yeah. know if I necessarily like agreed with that because I wouldn't want to be forced to remove my clothes if I didn't feel comfortable. And so I feel like, you know, that same consideration be- should be extended to everybody that oh, yeah, that goes absolutely. to the parties. So there's some weird things like that, that I I would agree with that we've noticed within the lifestyle and that are things to avoid because you should really always have the choice of how you dress there, what you're what you're going to wear or not wear, who you're going to kiss, who you're going to touch, who's allowed to even hug you. I mean, the consent mm-hmm. culture has gotten to the point where even if I know somebody, frequently they'll say, is it okay if I hug you? Even if we've hugged multiple times before. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that.
0: I oh, think yeah. Always checking in.
1: Yeah. You cause,
0: know, the communication.
1: Because consent one time doesn't mean consent every time. And I think that's that's a big part of consent culture is understanding that it's a constant, ongoing, you have to check in. And just because we hugged before or played before doesn't mean that it needs to happen again. And communication, like that's the key in all of your writings across Mm -hmm. the board. Um, It's a consistent thing that we notice. And that's one of the things that we talk about frequently on this podcast is communication is so key. And so having that communication to be able to say... I'm sorry. I know we've hugged before, but I'm not comfortable with that anymore. Because, or you, without even having to give a reason, you shouldn't have to justify your reason for saying no, no ever, e- ever. Um, but, but making sure that you allow somebody the benefit of knowing when they've crossed a boundary or broken your consent in any way is very important. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Stella, how do you assist people in identifying and understanding their desires and communication when it comes to you know their sexuality?
2: Yeah, I mean tricky and it's a process and it just starts by listening um mm-hmm. people i think often might know more of what they want than they realize they've just not had space to talk about it and a lot of times people just need to be validated be told that what they're interested in is okay mm-hmm. you know a lot of folks have come from restrictive upbringings more restrictive cultures you know, and some people have explicitly been told that they're wrong. Um, oh, yeah. So sometimes you just need to spend some time unpacking that and and tell them, yeah, you can have this. This is okay. There's nothing wrong with wanting this or liking this. And then helping them figure out the tools to explore that. Where do you find the spaces and the people? And yeah, and how do you communicate within that? Because then the second piece of that often is the sort of kid in the candy store. <laughs> A scarcity mode. Mm. They're like, oh, well, now I found a person who will do these things with me, and that's the only person I'm ever going to find. So I have to do whatever they want, to keep them happy, and then, you know, that can sort of too far into getting their boundaries crossed. Um, so yeah, it's it's this delicate balance of permission giving mm-hmm. um, and also helping them figure out all of those things that you just said. You get to say no. You get to set and maintain boundaries. Um, Being in any of these worlds doesn't mean you have to do all of the things with all of the people.
0: Mm -hmm. So what are some challenges people face when they try to explore this kink and BDSM type and they've never gone into this lifestyle before?
2: Yeah. um, I mean, part of it is finding community. Luckily, you know, like where I am in Portland, there's a lot of options for that, but it's certainly not true everywhere. So some folks, you know, need to come to kind of a road trip to find (laughs) lunches or parties, um, you know, or if it is more in the swinger world, again, there's parties everywhere. Or not well advertised ones. You know, you have to find the right people and get invited to house parties and that takes a
0: while. Mm. How's the lifestyle um, in Portland?
2: Uh, pretty vibrant, pretty vibrant. There are multiple dungeons, multiple sex clubs. Uh, yeah, there's always a lot going on. And then of course, you know, private parties. Venues being rented out, things in people's homes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's kind of something for everyone here.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. So when you are going out in the community, do you work with them? Like mostly, have you met the community through your professional side or your personal side?
2: So it's interesting. I was in the community personally first. And then as I transitioned doing more and more of this work, it, it did change how I operated in the community because I think when you have an overlap um you need to be more cautious with boundaries of the dual relationship piece and it yeah it changed how I interact I definitely did less you no know, sort of pickup play once this became my profession um was cautious about how vulnerable I would come in public you know maybe not getting naked at parties or right you know just maintaining a little bit more boundaries being there for the social aspect and then taking more of my personal play private well mm. I got to know a little bit better
1: that's kind of what happened to us and so that's why I was curious because I feel like mm-hmm. once we started doing the podcast and being out in the community more and being asked ambassadors for certain events or or just being more present in the community it felt like not that we necessarily needed to bring more in the bedroom but just be more cautious about how how we, because we didn't want to burn a business bridge by you know a personal issue, mm-hmm. and so it was one of those things that it's hard to navigate when you're when it's both your lifestyle and your work. And so I was curious how you yeah. did that.
2: Well, so, when you have this public persona; people think they know you,
1: a hundred percent
2: side of thing. You know, people come up to you and are talking to you as though you're friends and it's like, oh, that's very one-sided and I don't know anything about you. Mm-hmm. And so I think it a little longer to navigate that and to make sure you're being safe. Um and to make sure that there's not a power imbalance there that is, you know, creating um you know just anything that needs extra attention, extra navigation. You know, I I think I hold stricter boundaries boundaries than a lot of folks maybe in my position. Um, but I'm In addition to never dating people who've been clients, I'm cautious about people who've been in my classes or who sort of see me as a certain role in the community because that just feels like that's an inherent power imbalance that I'm not necessarily comfortable with. Um, So I have said I've done you know I've also done a lot of storytelling shows and I've said in some ways I know they're amazing. Career uh, kind of screwed up my personal life, you know (laughs) because I you know meet somebody on on a dating app and they're like oh I just Saw you talking about fisting, and I was like, "Okay, well, this is not normal first date
0: conversation,
2: right? So just get to know people at a regular pace, and they're, you know, talking about sex on the first date, and I'm like, okay, if this was going to be a hookup, fine, but." it changes the character of, of the interaction.
0: Mm. Well, I just want to say thank you for that because, um, you know, you can really abuse that power. People can really abuse that power out in the community, especially, you know, being like a public figure. Yeah, and an educator. It's hard to, it's
1: hard to toe that line. And so it's it's definitely refreshing to hear somebody that's, that's doing it. <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> I hope so. I'm trying. I've definitely seen that go badly.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we have to. <laughs> and I think it's
1: all you, you've with being a writer. And like I said, it's the flow through the theme through all of your writings and your books is communication. Mm-hmm. It's you communicating like this and putting yourself out there that allows others to learn from, from your experiences and really helps us navigate because we've run into a lot of people that this is still such Um, a a strong stigma around the subject of sex of any kind. And then when you add, like we've said before, kink onto it, or you add other layers to it, it really exacerbates it. And you've been able to bridge that gap. Like You have a lot of therapists that actually refer clients to you, correct?
2: Yeah, I have therapists who refer clients to me. Um, I've done trainings for therapists, I do guest lectures at the local universities um, for folks who are in grad school to become therapists, um, do talks at the local med school. So, yeah, I try to make various professionals more positive, and a more clued in about how to handle kinky clients, how to handle non monogamous clients. Yeah.
1: And that's something that I think is missing right now because, like, even we tried to have a connection with BetterHelp, who is like a database for um, Mm. therapists. And they said that they don't do sex therapy. And I thought that, why? (laughs) This day and age and with the post Me Too movement, when people are starting to face Um, their traumas more and need that help, you know, it's it's really a disservice that we don't have more people like Mm -hmm. you that we can refer those clients to when they run into something, you know, whether sometimes it happens within the lifestyle too or in a BDSM type relationship Mm -hmm. where they... Felt like their con- consent was betrayed, or you know something traumatic happened to them in a space where they originally felt comfortable, and it's hard to find people that are educated enough to have those conversations with them and help them through it.
2: And folks just don't learn it. You don't learn that You're becoming, you know, marriage and family therapist, LCSW, whatever it is. I mean, you maybe get one semester of a human sexuality class.
1: Oh wow, um, wow. and that's
2: all right. Up as a guest speaker, but it's just not part of the program. So, folks who want to be sex therapists have to then do additional training, you know, become certified another, you know, maybe a year or two and a ton more money. Um, so it's understandable that the average therapist doesn't know because they didn't get at the school, and if they didn't go out of their way to have that as an additional training, they just don't have the information,
1: right? Wow, um, and I think that
2: that's a pain because I do think. Obviously, with my career, I think sexuality is completely into people's overall well-being and mental health. So I wish that we're automatically part of all therapy, but we're not there yet.
1: <laughs>
0: we're, we're working st- on it. We're still growing. Yeah, I know. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there.
1: You do have an amazing array of online classes, though, as well. Um, do you want to discuss a couple of those that you offer? Sure. Sure. Um, I teach
2: live online classes for venues around the, you know, now everywhere, now that more things have moved online. And I also have some sort of evergreen online classes through Teachable. You can again find all this in my links on my social media or website. Um, I actually have a, a series coming up starting, I think, mid October, late October, about dating in the time of COVID. I'm co teaching oh. that with uh, a colleague of mine. Um, and I'm doing a, a online rope bondage class also coming up in October. Um, so yeah, it's a mix of online uh, live classes and pre-recorded folks can
1: take it their leisure. She even has a squirting class.
0: I know <laughs> you don't need any help with that. I know. I, I've probably
1: taken that class. I could probably teach that class. <laughs> um, and then one Topic that I love that you talk about because, like I said, we've we've gone through that theme of communication is finding your your matching communication styles. Can you tell us how you help couples oh, wow. through that? Yeah, um, I don't know if it's style
2: so much as just making sure people are really using the same language. You know, the big problem is everyone sees how they're communicating, and it doesn't mean the other person is actually understanding what they're meaning to get across. You know, so. In classes, I use this example. You know, I've had couples in front of me where one person keeps saying slower, and the other person thinks they're going slower. You know, but the person saying it might mean like go from six miles an hour to five miles an hour, and the person hearing it like okay, I went from sixty to
0: fifty
2: (laughs) nine. And neither is wrong. That is slower, but there's such a fundamental difference of understanding that everyone ends up because the point is not getting across and the one person doesn't listen to and the other person like oh nothing I do was right and so everyone's upset um, so sometimes it's just getting into this sort of that nitty-gritty of what do you mean to say because if you said the same thing five times and you're not getting it assuming the other person is operating in good faith and you know is not just trying to cross boundaries or isn't being an abuser um, then what else is there?
0: Interesting. Can Can you also explain the concept of an erotic blueprint to our audience?
2: Yeah. So I'm not an erotic blueprint coach. That is a whole separate training that folks can take, but I have written about it. I've been taught with erotic blueprint coaches. Um, and the idea there is almost like, um, you know, your are You know, it's they send folks a quiz. And it helps people figure out: okay, are they more sensual? Are they more kinky? Uh, are they more energetic? And and so it's this idea that you have a type, and then if you can figure that out, maybe you can find out some of your turn ons. Maybe it helps your partner find out their turn ons. Um, so it's almost like so your yeah, sexual it's more of
1: tools to like help people figure out what they like and how to talk. about like your ah. sexual love language, right? Yes, yes. <laughs>
0: Absolutely.
1: And I think that these these are all amazing for the people that are curious in going into the lifestyle or exploring polyamory or like we said before even getting into a threesome and it's hard for sometimes you have one person in the relationship that has all these ideas or these fantasies or these things that they want and they don't know how to broach that subject with their mm-hmm. partners. And so having all these tools of oh look at what I found, you know, I feel like that's look I I learned about these erotic sensuality things and let's let's find our sexual love language mm-hmm. together. And it's a way for them to bond and kind of start the conversation. And so I love giving people those ideas that can help. You have a list of questions too on your website or, or forms that people can download, correct? That help with them as well?
2: Yeah, not specifically the erotic conference, but right. like I said, I have things like the freesome exploration worksheets and um, you know yes, no, maybe lists. With- and yeah, lots of tools like that. Like you said, it just helps get the conversation flowing and it can help too if it's from this sort of neutral third source. So it's not someone having to say like, oh, I've been fantasizing about this for decades, which is super vulnerable. Like, oh, hey, look, we both checked yes on spanking. What if we tried that?
1: Right. So it just <laughs> makes the stakes lower. Okay.
0: Okay. I don't like it. <laughs>
1: So how do you coach couples through when they've had that conversation and somebody is really turned off by their partner's fetish or kink or idea of what they want to do? Do you then recommend like non-monogamy or how does that work?
2: It it depends. Um, Sometimes, yes, there is some sort of fundamental mismatch. You know, I've had couples where they're both very dominant, they're both very submissive and it does sort of come to the like, well, this could be an opportunity to... Discuss adding other people to the mix, either in a threesome format or each you separately. Mm-hmm. And you will find people in the BDSM community who, you know, their version of monogamish is that they're just doing pink with other people and maybe, you know, not intercourse or not dating um, just to get those specific needs met. Uh, I mean, and that is not a matter of like being squicked out by the other person interests, just not being the right person to meet those needs. Um, what I find more often, though, is like the big difference is if people understand why something is Um So I had a couple I worked with years ago, I and mean, they wrote a testimonial so I can talk about this, but the fellow was interested in pegging, and, you know, we'd had a session talking about that and talking about how to tell his partner, and he told his partner, and she was kind of like, eh, I don't know if that's my jam. And then they came and saw me together and I just asked questions like having him explain why is this, why do you want this? And he talked about, you know, wanting to share that vulnerability with her and that trust and that openness. And when she heard him say why it was a she's like, oh, heck yeah, I want that. Right. You know, oh, that wow. intimacy piece, that emotional piece. But when she was just like, why would I want to wear a dildo? Like, when she just saw it as the stuff and the toys, just like, yeah, right. that's not my jam. But then she's like, oh wait, what like, have my partner be like soft and open and honorable with me? That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Um but I think we do often just see the activities or the tools or the toys first. You know, we see the flogger or the strap on or whatever. Some of us are gear nerds and love that sense. Um and for others it just sort of extraneous unless they see what opportunities that. Could but not for new and different
0: mm. So you um, deal with a lot of rope play as well. Do you also deal with impact play? Oh, yeah. Okay. Are you into impact play as well? Do you, I are, am. Are you like the the teacher or do you like the one being impacted?
2: So I'm a switch. Oh,
0: okay. In
2: um, so I like topping, bottom, you know, doming, stuff all of it. It uh, depends on the person often, like what the dynamic ends up being with me and a particular person. Um, but yeah, for
1: things like impact and rope, I would say I like both sides equally. Mm-hmm. Do you find that a lot of times um, we hear stories from other people that when the kink side overlaps polyamory or when the kink side overlaps lifestyle, that some of those communities Are almost like, what? You do you're okay with what? You're okay with being hit? You're okay with being called names? And they kind of look down on that when they're polyamory. Almost like, you know, don't yuck my yum type situation. Um, how do you deal with that with being in all of those circles?
2: Yeah. So in the before times, I used to run a mostly EDSM party that was held at the local swingers club. Uh And Part of how we managed that, you know, I was there as a host and I was well-labeled and we had other party hosts circulating to help answer people's questions um, because not everyone would realize like, oh, it's Thursday, this is PDSM night <laughs> versus what they were expecting from the club on other nights of the week. And yeah, for some folks, they're like, oh my gosh, that person's getting hit or that person said no and the play didn't stop, you know, oh. not knowing they're playing with safe words and did does freak some people right out. Mm-hmm. Um, and how we would handle that again is having enough party staff to catch anybody who looks wide-eyed or concerned and explain what's going on. Ideally give people a tour, you know, if if we know that they're new, or that it's their first time, and to help bridge that gap and explain, here's why someone might want to do that. Here's what's hot about it for them. And, and to sort of try to bridge that gap between the different communities. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's what's great about having online classes too, is because then you can learn about that stuff from like the comfort of your own home mm-hmm. and see if it's something that even you want to explore more beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so I love that you offer online classes. That's huge for a lot of people.
2: I think it really helps folks listen to some podcasts, read some books, take some Agreed. classes before they show up at a venue. Like that's a... That's really heading straight to the deep end. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. We've definitely been at our local club and um, seen some newbies with, you know, just the deer in the headlights look where it's just like, whoa, whoa. They didn't expect it. Especially
1: if they show up on a kink night. Yes. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yes.
2: (laughs) And this is part of what I tell people, you know, look at the website of the venue you're considering and like see what the theme nights are and make sure you're reading about the dress codes and just really research what you're getting into because every club has its own vibe every party has its own vibe and it's important to make sure that's a match a
1: hundred percent
0: one million percent
1: <laughs> give us one second here my questions timed out on us. Sorry, Drew, you're going to have to edit that part. Okay, so the pitfalls. So you go over a lot of the common pitfalls with um, people wanting to get into a threesome or trying to, you know, ethical non-monogamy for the first time. Um, What would you Mm. say is the biggest issue that you run into with with clients that come to you?
2: I think often people are really excited and go a little too fast. You know, they maybe don't do quite enough self-reflection quite enough negotiation with a partner if they have one. And and then yeah, boundaries get crossed, often boundaries they didn't know they had, feelings get hurt. Um and that can lead to not a great first experience. Maybe not wanting a second experience. And I think too often people try things first that goes badly and then they come and look for support. Right. Okay. Um, rather than really laying the groundwork before they try. And we see that again in BDSM. Non-monogamy,
1: threesomes, all of it. They're like,
2: oh, we're just going to try something and then it goes off the rails in some way.
1: I would agree. How do you recommend that they go about that negotiation piece? Because I think that's a really difficult, I think a lot of people just haven't ever negotiated anything like that before and they mm-hmm. just don't know where to start.
0: Yeah, as
2: slowly as possible. You know, reading everything you can find, taking the classes, doing all the quizzes and then specifically with things like non-monogamy or threesomes, I, I do suggest a whole series of baby steps. You know, go to a strip, how do you feel about seeing that. your partner with someone else naked? How do you feel about seeing them turned on by somebody else? Mm. You know, or go to, you know, one of these parties where it is okay to keep all your clothes on and walk. How do you feel being in a sexually charged environment together? You know or even before that step, have your partner tell you about their celebrity crush.
1: You
2: know, <laughs> are you even okay with like hearing they think other human beings are hot,
1: right? You
2: know, and, and just sort of starting there. And if that doesn't feel good, maybe it's not for you, or maybe you're sort of identifying these areas to work on before you go further, and certainly before you drag anyone else into it, right? Because you don't want to have someone go on a date and then have the partner. Freak out, say okay, never again, and then the innocent the third party is getting screwed over, right? You know,
1: or or is in the midst of some sort of relationship drama they didn't look for.
0: Mm. Yes,
1: right. It's God. it's it's it, an important part of the puzzle that I think a lot of people don't even down to the most minute thing, like we talked about kissing
0: mm-hmm. or when we first started, right? And because you know. that was
1: kind of an issue for me in the beginning, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if I wanted to kiss anybody else, and so then it's one of those things where well, is it just me not kissing anybody or is it no kissing for everybody? You really have to be specific on what you're comfortable with and and knowing how to express that. And so, like you said, I we always recommend going at the slowest pace because I feel like everybody's not always on the same pace. Oh, no. Like you, all, you usually have somebody in the relationship that wants to, you know, jump in a little bit faster and
0: mm-hmm. and
1: understanding that, you know, for it to work, you really have to go at the slowest person's pace or even slower.
2: Yeah. And I say something almost exactly like that in my book. I think it is helpful, like, for example, in a threesome to just follow the strictest boundaries in the room. So if one person doesn't want there to be kissing, yeah, no kissing all around. That way it okay. feels more fair and balanced. It's easier to remember. Um, so, yeah, so setting it to the, yeah, the strictest boundaries, the slowest pace. How do you? And it counts, right? It still counts. if you're just all snuggle and watch a sexy movie together, right? Like, that counts. You don't need to make out. You don't need to be naked. You certainly don't need to have intercourse. course. Like, start slow. Start changing backgrounds, right? You can't do too little. Worst case scenario is you're not wanting more and you make another date
0: hmm This is right.
1: So what if they go through the whole negotiation process? Now they're on the same page. They've had conversations about it. They start to go through with it. And all of a sudden, these unexpected feelings come up. How, do, I mean, do you usually have them say something ahead of time? Like mm-hmm. have an agreement. So if those feelings come up, you can, you know, one person says stop, everybody stops. Or how does how do you tell people to negotiate that when they're when they're trying it for the first time?
2: Yeah, I mean, I can guarantee they'll be, unexpected feelings. Like, you don't know what the signs right. are going to be, but you know something's going to come <laughs> up. So I definitely recommend negotiating that. Um, I always tell folks, plan to take it. Even if everything feels like it's going okay, like take a break. Get some water. Have a snack. You know, everyone goes to the bathroom. And also when there's a break, everyone takes a break, right? If somebody I love to go that. To the bathroom, everyone else doesn't carry on. And then that third person, fourth person comes back, they can feel left out. And it can feel hard to integrate back in. So pre-plan your breaks. Breaks are for everyone. Um, and encouraging people to speak up as soon as something feels not great. You know, I'm feeling left out or I'm feeling jealous. And I also encourage folks to see if there's a request they can make. Like, what can you add? Versus what can you take away? So, oh, I'm feeling a little jealous saying you two kiss. Instead of saying, stop kissing because I'm jealous. Like, try... Would you to pay more attention to me for a while? Could I be the center of attention? Uh, and that tends to be more fun for everyone and more effective. Um, taking things away nice. doesn't tend to resolve the difficult feeling as well as
1: adding something.
0: Oh, well, that's a good point. Yeah, I that love that. That is a that. really good point.
1: I love that. And then how do you, so now they've taken this step and they've, they. where would they look? Where do you ever recommend that people go meet? For you know, I want to have a threesome or I want, I know finding community is huge. But if you're
0: not in the community, you but are the, you're the lifestyle. But if you're not in
1: the community, yes.
2: Yeah. And this, I have a whole chapter about this in the threesome book, because there is this difference between, are you going to you know, become a threesome person or do you just want one off? Um, and on the one hand, obviously finding the community, joining the communities, making the friends takes longer yes, is ultimately more effective, right? Once you have a bunch so, of sexy friends who do this sort of stuff, suddenly you're the kind of person that reasons can happen to a drop of a hat. But it is, as you said, a whole lifestyle and not everyone wants that. Um, so for folks who do want that lifestyle, I do say, you know, look for meetup. Um, everything from Facebook groups, you know, to meetup, to life, these things are advertising <laughs> all over. So find mixers and lunches, the classes, And start going to things, start meeting people, and let it take a minute. Like, don't show up and just cruise at your first event and try to get someone to come home with you. Like, actually meet the people, make friends, you Mm -hmm. know, become a person in the community. And for folks who do just want that one-off, I think it's a little bit harder because Mm -hmm. you do have this, um, you know, some blocks to overcome. Convincing someone who's likely part of these communities that you are a safe person or safe people to do this with you know, emotionally and physically safe. But, you know, we got a lot of dating apps for that now. I actually, I have on my Substack a whole uh, like threesome dating app rundown. <laughs> but potentially any of them can work. I think it is easier on apps that are more geared towards non-monogamy kink hookup spaces. Um, but you can do it anywhere. You can do it on OKCupid, um, if you're really up about what you're looking for.
0: It's all and about it's the communication. It's going to be obvious
2: if you have had these conversations, right? You right. know, and it's obvious that are you both people, you know, or is it just one person's fantasy and the other person is going kind of disgrudgingly along for the
0: ride? Oh, taking one for the team. No, right? Oh gosh. i'm I'm okay with it
1: (laughs) yeah we love our online communities too cassidy and Mm -hmm. fet life i mean that's where we i would say for the most part especially during covid that's where most people were finding their hookups because Mm -hmm. you know the clubs were closed and you had to look for alternative now in terms of that how do you how do you navigate covid now with Because this is such an intimate lifestyle. I mean, obviously, there's a lot yeah. of kissing. There's a lot of touching. How do you recommend people that, you know, what do you recommend that they do, especially now that winter's coming again and mm-hmm. it's going to get cold? How do you keep safe and be in the lifestyle?
2: Well, that's part of why I have a class about that. Mm-hmm. Um, we did this whole five-week series a few months ago. We're doing it again starting in October. Uh, mask for mask. Um, um, yeah, because a lot of people... Um, have moved on and don't acknowledge that COVID is still with us. And it is tricky for folks who are still COVID cautious or you know disabled, chronically ill, whatever it might be to find people who are also in agreement with them and are willing to negotiate and meet those boundaries. And also it, it's the same tools that we've just talked about the same way you need to be able to speak up for yourself and state your boundaries and negotiate um, so if you have these tools, you can do it around COVID. When I'm working with clients and students, it is a lot about people finding their own risk tolerance. Again, it's a lot of the same tools, and now it's about your COVID risk So, right. so people are perfectly happy going to clubs and, you know, licking 20 people in an evening. And a <laughs> lot of other folks like me are still very cautious. And so there's a lot more talking online, you know, Seeing our other people on the same page. We have a first date that's outdoors somewhere. You know, see if there's even chemistry before we even think about taking it indoors or taking the next step
1: risk wise. Mm, That's so good. Right. And then it starts casual. And so how do you how do you how do you navigate people when? Because we're finding this a lot now that a lot of lifestyle people are starting to curve more towards polyamory post COVID.
0: Um, uh, yeah, and actually and think, finding more like family type. Right. Type because care. they're
1: nervous and they are, they're more concerned with protecting their health. And so having some regular play partners has become easier, but it's a different, it's a totally different lifestyle altogether. So, how do you help clients navigate when they are taking that turn from just ethical non monogamy into polyamory?
2: Well, I think that something can be regular without being serious. So again, in, in the before times, there was a couple that I met on one of the apps and, you know, I joined them on occasion. And I mean, we did that for over a year, but only every couple of months, you know, it started again, we met for dinner and you know, it was outdoors. Um, and then, you know, I think every other day they came over, they would usually bring a dessert you know, we'd all have sex, we'd eat some cake, they'd go home.
1: Oh my God, and that sounds barely, like an amazing night.
2: Know, we a <laughs> tiny bit, in between, but not a lot. You know, we weren't dating and I always saw them together. Um, but it was long term. Right. But not necessarily serious. So I think you can have long term play partners that you've established trust with and it stays mostly play or mostly sex if that's what everyone wants. Um, so I don't think it has to become multiple serious relationships to have that sort of ongoing trusted partner. And it can, you know, maybe people do want, like you said, the polycule or polyfidelity, you know, okay, it's this five people or a pod and that's it. Um, and yeah, and then that is a lot to navigate and make sure that is in fact what everyone wants because an occasional play partner versus, oh, now I'm in love with an additional person you know, it's, it's a paradigm shift and it's a lot to get used to.
0: Yeah. What are some green flags that you would recommend a couple is looking for a third or something, you know, that can look out for?
2: So specifically if a couple is sort of screening the potential third. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so I always ask people to, you know, ask if it's the first time or not. Um, and it's not, there's no wrong answer there, but I want to hear, first of all, if somebody is new to it. Why are they interested? Um, and they have had other experiences. Ask about how that went. In the same way, you know, on a first one on one day, you might want to hear about someone's exes, right? Because if somebody does the, like, oh, all the quote-unquote crazy acts, right? And you're like, oh, no, you're the common denominator <laughs> here. That's the right,
1: <laughs> right
2: Right. So if somebody has a lot of bad things to say about previous partners, previous experiences, I'm like, hmm, like, I wonder what's going on there so um, yeah, hearing about how people talked about other partners, other experiences, um, asking why they're interested, you know, why, what what is exciting about threesomes for you, um, and, and making sure that everyone wants it for the same reasons. Again, there's not necessarily a bad reason to have a desire. Right. Um, but if the third is like, oh, I've always wanted to be part of a triad, and the couple's like, oh, we wanted a one-off, you know, just to have have it off our bucket list. Like neither of those is a bad thing to want, but it's an
1: incompatible, you know, choice of partner.
0: Mm, Interesting. Interesting.
1: It is. And it's one of those things that I feel like the more you navigate, people don't realize how fluid it is. Like Mm -hmm. you can become poly. You can, you can go into the kink scene. You can come out of the kink scene and decide that's not for you anymore. You can, um, switch to, you know, ethical non-monogamy and just swinging. Like there's never, it never has to, once you make a decision has to stay that way. Like it can change and evolve as your relationships evolve. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so I think educating people on that and knowing that the one good thing about everything that we've learned with as many people as we interviewed is that nobody does relationships the same way. And that's perfectly okay. Like it's fine if you're, you know, solo poly and it's fine. It, you know, there's a lot to be said about just living your truth and being autonomous and and knowing that everybody around you is supporting you, whether it's, you know, your per, your fam, familial relationships and friends mm. or your personal relationships. And so I think it's important that people have resources like you to reach out to and help them navigate that stuff. Oh, I know.
0: Yeah, you have a, a number of resources. Yes. Thank you.
1: You're everywhere. I mean, you guys, you can. You Google-able. are probably the most Googleable <laughs> person I've ever come across. Mm-hmm. Um, you Google <laughs> your name and the right Stella Harris comes up. All right the, away. Yep. And Number you're one. just everywhere. Your your articles are everywhere. I mean, you have a wealth of information, and we appreciate you taking the time to share some of that with us today.
2: Yeah, it's been great chatting with you.
0: Thanks for having me on. Do Absolutely. You, do you have a favorite article that you've written?
2: I I don't know. I don't even know if I can narrow it down to <laughs> right so that, I... at this point. Yeah. Okay. Do you have anything uh, new that know, you're... actually the thing that I I don't know if it's my favorite article, but I. Most fun experience actually was when I was writing for my local newspaper. Oh yes, and they sent me with a press pass to a strip club to see Stormy Daniels. When oh, she was in town. I
0: read about um, that.
2: And just the notion of I have a press pass to a strip club, right? <laughs> a notebook, and like interviewing patrons and dancers, and taking notes, and
1: that was just a wacky fun experience. Uh, so that was the most fun way to write. So do you have any projects or anything that you want to promote that you have coming up or books, new books that you're in the works with or anything like that? No more books in the works
2: right at the moment. Okay. Um, maybe in the future. Um, if anyone has something they would like to see me write, let me know. Yeah, upcoming classes you can find on my website, um, on my link tree and social media. So yeah, a bunch of stuff coming up. And yeah, you can find my writing all over for me as a coach if you want. But yeah, like you said, I'm pretty Googleable. You can find me on all the social media and find my website. So yeah, just see what I'm up to and uh, an email to say hi if you want.
0: Yes. Wonderful. Thank absolutely. you so very much, Stella.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on. And Isha's, if you want to get more of Stella, it's StellaHarris.net. Mm-hmm. And you can check her out. She's got coaching, one-on-one coaching. I'm sure you do that online as well too, right? it's
2: all online. Um, now. Okay, yeah, I used to have an office in Portland, but it's all online now and I think I'm going to keep it that way. I like right? Not having a commute or overhead.
1: Right?
0: Well, and I think, <laughs>
1: I think it with this type of subject, it makes it even more comfortable for your clients cuz they can be in the comfort of their own home having these really private discussions. They're mm-hmm. not in an environment that they're not, you know, used to. So I love yeah, that I'm you're offering too. that. Well, again, if you guys want to check her out, go over to StellaHarris.net. Um, she's just a wonderful source of information. Read her articles, oh, read yes. her book; you won't be sorry. We thank you <laughs> again it. for having her for having you on the show. And again, Ishes, we'll see you next time.